Welcome to A Course in Business Miracles. This is Heather Dominic, creator of businessmiracles.com and founder and leader of the highly sensitive entrepreneur movement. Join me today for some genuine practical assistance and a business altering and life changing experience. A business miracle. This is A Course in Business Miracles, episode number 57. When all HSE hell breaks loose. In this episode, I share a powerful story that shines a light on the lie we often tell ourselves as HSEs that it's impossible to experience anything different than what we are currently experiencing in our business. After the anesthesiologist counts him down to sleep, I place the boy's head in a head frame attached to his skull and then position him prone. I get out the hair clippers. Although the nurse usually preps the surgery site, I prefer to shave the head myself. It's a ritual I do. And as I slowly shave the head, I think of this precious little boy and go over every detail of the surgery in my mind. I cut off the first bit of hair and hand it to the circulator to put in a small bag for the boy's mother. This is his first haircut, and while it's the last thing on his mom's mind now, I know it will matter to her later. It's a milestone you want to remember. First haircut. First tooth lost. First day of school. First time riding a bike. First brain surgery is never on this list. I gently cut away the fine, light brown strands, hoping my young patient is able to experience each of these firsts. In my mind, I can see him smiling with a large gap where his front teeth should be. I see him walking into kindergarten with a backpack that's almost as big as he is slung over one shoulder. I see him riding a bike for the first time, that first thrill of freedom, pedaling feverishly with the wind in his hair. I think of my own children as I continue to clip his hair. The images and scenes of all his firsts are so clear in my mind that I can't imagine any other outcome. I don't want to see a future of hospital visits and cancer treatments and additional surgeries. As a survivor of a childhood brain tumor, he will always have to be monitored, but I refuse to see him in the future as he has been in the past. The nausea and vomiting, the falling down, the waking in the early morning hours screaming for his mother because the ugly thing is compressing his brain and it hurts. There's enough heartbreak in life without adding this to the mix. I continue to gently clip his hair just enough so I can do my work. I make two dots at the base of his skull where we will make our incision and draw a straight line. Brain surgery is difficult, but surgery in the posterior fossa is even more so, and in a small child, excruciatingly difficult. This tumor is large and the work painstakingly slow and precise. Eyes looking through a microscope for hours focused on just one thing. As surgeons, we are trained to shut down our own bodily response as we operate, 
We don't take bathroom breaks. We don't eat. We have been trained to ignore when our backs ache and our muscles cramp. I remember my first time in the operating room assisting a famous surgeon who was known not only for being brilliant, but also for being a belligerent and arrogant prima donna when he operated. I was intimidated and nervous, and as I stood next to him in the operating room, sweat began pouring down my face. I was breathing heavily into my mask, and my eyeglasses began steaming up. I couldn't see the instruments or even the operating field. I had worked so hard, overcome so much, and now here I was doing surgery just like I had always imagined, but I couldn't see a thing. Then the unthinkable happened. A large drop of sweat rolled off my face and into the sterile field. He went ballistic. It should have been a highlight of my life, my first time in surgery, but instead I contaminated the surgical field and was summarily kicked out of the operating room. I have never forgotten that experience. Today, my forehead is cool and my eyesight is clear. My pulse is slow and steady. Experience makes the difference, and in my operating room, I am not the dictator or a belligerent prima donna. Every member of the team is valuable and necessary. Everyone is focused on his or her part. The anesthesiologist monitors the boy's blood pressure and oxygen, his level of consciousness, and the rhythm of his beating heart. The surgical nurse constantly monitors the instruments and supplies, making sure whatever I need is within reach. A large bag is attached to the drapes and hangs below the boy's head, collecting blood and irrigation fluid. The bag is attached to a tube connected to a large suction machine and constantly measures the fluid so we know how much blood loss we have at any given moment. The surgeon assisting me is a senior resident in training and new to the team, but he is just as focused on the blood vessels and brain tissue and minutia of removing this tumor as I am. We can't think about our plans for the next day or hospital politics or our children or our relationship trouble at home. It's a form of hypervigilance, a single pointed concentration, almost like meditation. We train the mind and the mind trains the body. There's an amazing rhythm and flow when you have a good team. Everyone is in sync. Our minds and bodies work together as one coordinated intelligence. I am removing the last piece of the tumor, which is attached to one of the major draining veins deep in the brain. The posterior fossa venous system is incredibly complex, and my assistant is suctioning fluids as I carefully resect the final remnant of the tumor. He lets his attention wander for a second, and in that second, his suction tears the vein, And for the briefest moment, everything stops. And then all hell breaks loose. The blood from the ripped vein fills the resection cavity and blood begins to pour out of the wound of this beautiful little boy's head. The anesthesiologist starts yelling that the child's blood pressure is rapidly dropping and he can't keep up with the blood loss. I need to clamp the vein and stop the bleeding, but it has retracted into a pool of blood and I can't see it. My suction alone can't control the bleeding and my assistant's hand is shaking too much to be of any help. He is in full arrest, the anesthesiologist screams. 
He has to scramble under the table because this little boy's head is locked in a head frame, prone with the back of his head opened up. The anesthesiologist starts compressing the boy's chest while holding his other hand on his back, trying desperately to get his heart to start pumping. Fluids are being poured into the large IV lines. The heart's first and most important job is to pump blood. And this magical pump that makes everything in the body possible has stopped. The four-year-old is bleeding to death on the table in front of me. As the anesthesiologist pumps on his chest, the wound continues to fill with blood. We have to stop the bleeding or he will die. The brain consumes 15% of the outflow of the heart and can survive only minutes after the heart stops. It needs blood and more important, the oxygen that is in the blood. We are running out of time before the brain dies. They need each other, the brain and the heart. I am frantically trying to clamp the vein, but there's no way to see the vessel through all the blood. Although his head is fixed into position, the chest compressions are moving it ever so slightly. The team knows and I know that we are running out of time. The anesthesiologist looks up at me and I see the fear in his eyes. We might lose this child. Cardiopulmonary resuscitation, CPR, is like trying to clutch start a car in second gear. It's not very reliable, especially as we are continuing to lose blood. I am working blind, so I open my heart to a possibility beyond reason, beyond skill, and I begin to do what I was taught decades ago, not in residency, not in medical school, but in the back of a small magic shop in the California desert. I calm my mind. I relax my body. I visualize the retracted vessel. I see it in my mind's eye, folded into this young boy's neurovascular highway. I reach in blindly, but knowing that there is more to this life than we can possibly see, and that each of us is capable of doing amazing things far beyond what we think is possible. We control our own fates, and I don't accept that this four-year-old is destined to die today on this operating table. I reach down into the pool of blood with the open clip, close it, and slowly pull my hand away. The bleeding stops, and then, as if far away, I hear the slow blip, of the heart monitor. It's faint at first, it's uneven, but soon it gets stronger and steadier, as all hearts do when they begin to come to life. I feel my own heartbeat begin to match the rhythm on the monitor. Later, in post-op, I will give his mother the remnants from his first haircut, and my little buddy will come out of the anesthetic as a survivor. He will be completely normal, In 48 hours, he will be talking and even laughing, and I will be able to tell him that the ugly thing is gone. Deep breath in. And let it out. And again, deep breath in. And let it out. And one more time, deep breath in. And let it out. So having in mind that we are here to 
really look at our HSE coping mechanisms and to stop pushing and hiding. Why do you sense I shared that story with you? Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed this episode of A Course in Business Miracles. If you're ready to learn how to use your highly sensitive abilities to support you in being purposeful, profitable, and empowered rather than scattered, poor, and undervalued, take my free self-quiz to find out if you are indeed a highly sensitive entrepreneur. And if you are, along with your quiz results, you'll receive my free HSE success guide, which will teach you how to have your highly sensitive abilities working for you to create the results you desire in your business. Take the quiz and receive your free success guide now at www.hsequiz.com.